Today's reading is James, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving alone, listening to some of my favourite Christian music, joining in with the words, genuinely praising God, real emotion. And then a car sped up on my left hand side, pulled into my lane and I was forced to brake. And immediately I found these aggressive words spilling out of my mouth. I'd gone from praise to put down in naught to 30. Now, you might be inclined to give me the benefit of the doubt, say, Joe, that's just a driving thing. But it's not. Because I've been hyper aware of my words this week as I've prepared to preach from this passage. And time and again, I've caught myself saying critical things. Harsh things. I haven't had to, to try. They just come out. My speech is inconsistent. In, in some way, I'm not totally in control of what I say. I don't think I'm alone in that. Uh, we all experience some sort of tongue trouble. So, so maybe it's with a, a colleague at work. After that Zoom meeting, we, we complain about them because we just find them hard. Or maybe uh, we find that when we're with them, we, without realising it, start making jabs disguised as jokes. Or maybe it's with someone at church, uh, someone who didn't thank us or someone who changed what we did without asking. We, we don't want to, but we, we vent to, to close friends and we find that when we see them making mistakes, our inner monologue is just criticising. 
whether it's like that or with close family, people that we love the most, we all say things that hurt others. And we don't have to try, they just come pouring out of us. What do those words reveal about us? Where do they come from? And can we really change how we speak? Well, God speaks into those questions in our passage today, because uh, James wrote to warn Christians against settling for a double-minded, self-deceptive faith. And instead, back in chapter 1, verse 4, he calls Christians to become complete, to have an all-the-way-through faith that listens to what God says and then goes and does it. And in chapter 1, verse 26, James highlighted that tongue control is a key part of that all-the-way-through faith. So in our passage, James sort of turns to us and says, we need to talk about our talk. He starts by saying that not many believers should become teachers. Because a teacher in the church, a leader, is always using their words. Their words are their tools. So if they misuse their words, if they're bullying or, or hypocritical, then that's going to cause lasting damage. That's going to cause public damage to the church. And they'll be liable for stricter judgment. But then James uses a tongue test that applies to every Christian, whether they want to be a, a leader or not. Verse 2. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The person with the perfect or complete all the way through faith the kind of faith that James wants every Christian to have is the person who controls their tongue. But when we apply that test to ourselves, we're forced to admit that we've got tongue trouble. Because our speech is out of control. That's James's first point in verses 2 to 8. Because verse 2 claims that if we did control our speech, then we control what we do what direction that we take in life. That's the point that he makes with two pictures in verses three and four. A mighty horse can be turned just by putting a bit in its mouth. And even a ship, when it's battered by strong winds, can be turned with a small rudder directed wherever the pilot wants it to go. Now, if you looked at those two huge things, a horse or a ship with the eyes of a child, as if you were seeing them for the first time, I don't think you'd ever imagine that controlling their smallest part would allow you to direct where they go. But that is how it works. And in the same way, verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, but makes great boasts. Our words are much more powerful than we think. We can't make any plans, start any relationship, do anything with anyone without first expressing ourselves in words. Whether those words are internal or external, if we control our words, then we could set the direction of our life. But the reality is that our speech is out of control. It's an uncontrollable force. Verse six, the tongue is a fire, like a small spark in the Australian outback. It, it just gets out of control, wreaking havoc in ways that we just couldn't predict in ways that we just can't restrain. If you think of any past situation where you've gotten into trouble, somewhere 
your words will have played a part. Because our tongue is a world of evil. James uses the word world to describe the anti-God, me-first instinct that we find everywhere in human society. But he's saying, guys, the problem isn't just out there. The problem's inside. Our own words express that anti-God, me-first instinct. They're like an underground enemy cell that's infiltrated our defences, set among the parts of our body, corrupting our whole body, setting the whole course of life on fire. Every area of our life is affected by harsh, selfish words. And what we say has a lasting impact on our life and on the lives of others. I think we can all recognise that when we, we see it in others. So on the, the large scale, the, the hate-filled rhetoric of Hitler corrupted a nation. And on the personal scale, there's that man who, who can't bring himself to go see his dying brother because of bitter words said decades ago. Or there's the friend whose marriage was broken apart by the drip, drip, drip of critical words. But if you're anything like me, I think we come to this kind of passage and we're thinking, look, James, you're just being a little bit over the top. Sure, we say nasty things, but evil, out of control. I don't think I have that much trouble with my words. I don't let things get that far. But what standard are we uh, applying? Would we be comfortable if every word that we said this week or every word that we thought in our heads had been recorded and was played out loud in front of all the people that we know. I know I wouldn't be comfortable with that. This passage asks us a, a searching question. If we're troubled by harsh, unforgiving words, if we hate the hate that we see in the world, can we admit that we find that same hate on our own tongues? That we share responsibility for that problem? If we can, I think our, our first reaction might be like the advice that I found on one entrepreneur's website recently. After describing all the ways that what you say can benefit you or harm you in business, this is how he finishes the article. Think before you speak next time. Just control yourself. Now, some of us will have the willpower to hold our tongue at bay better than others, at least for a little bit of time. But have a look at verse seven and eight. All kinds of animals have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. We can bend creation and its creatures to our will, but none of us can tame our own tongues. They're a restless evil. Words just break out. As one preacher put it, we're like the, the man coming out of Starbucks, loaded up with coffees for the office. We might feel calm and in control, but just one nudge in our soft spot and everything will spill out in a hot, boiling mess. We can't control our speech. Can we admit that? But if we do admit that, that still leaves some big questions, especially if we're Christians. Why does so much evil 
come out of our mouths when we're following Jesus? What does that say about our faith? In verses 9 to 12, James applies everything he said to Christians in particular. And he identifies the cause of our tongue trouble. We have divided hearts. Because James is most concerned that for believers, the kind of speech he's talking about is just totally inconsistent. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. We praise God, tell him we trust him. That's what we've just been doing this morning in our, our songs and in our prayers. But we also say hurtful, divisive things to others. And when James says curses, he, he just means all of those bad words. And in chapter 119, it's angry words. In chapter 4, it's slander and quarrels. And here's the problem. It's not just that we're using our words in two contradictory ways. It's that we're relating to God in two contradictory ways. Because our mouths big God up and pull others who are made in God's likeness down. So every day I, I tell my family that I love them. I speak proudly of them to others. But, but can you imagine if while my family were out of the park one day, I went around the house and I got I got some family photos like, like this one here and I started ranting and swearing at the people in the photo. If I started criticising each person's flaws, bringing back up everything that they'd ever said that had offended me. What would that tell you about my relationship with my family? At best, I think you could say that I had deeply conflicted feelings about them. But at worst, I think you'd say that, that deep down, all of the words that I said face to face were a kind of mask. But really, I don't love and enjoy my family. And that's what's going on when Christians praise God but lash out at other human beings made in his likeness. The inconsistent use of our tongue reveals that we're really in two minds about God. That's why verse 10 is so urgent. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. A pattern of inconsistent words reveals that we have divided, inconsistent hearts. We're double-minded in the words of James. We're, we're torn between enjoying God's mercy and setting ourselves up as judge. Between trusting that God's in control and, and grasping for control ourselves. And verse 11 and 12 shows us that we can't produce divided words indefinitely. Because we can't have a divided heart indefinitely. At some point, we'll prove to be one thing or the other. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. Trees only produce fruit that matches their kind. In the end, James says, each tree is recognised by its own fruit. To, to quote Jesus, each tree is recognised by its own fruit.
for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A divided, double-minded heart, if it's not addressed and changed, will finally turn out to be an anti-God heart. A salt spring cannot produce fresh water. If we reach the end of our life and our words are salty towards others and towards God, it's because we'll have turned out to be salty at source. We'll have wandered away from the wholehearted faith that, that saves. And we'll have lost out on eternal life. But James doesn't want to leave us despairing. He's called us to purify our hearts in, in the words of chapter 4 verse 8. Um, to mature into the all the way through faith. But if we want a purified heart and the increasingly controlled speech that, that it'll produce, then we need to look for change in the right place. We need to turn to the tongue tamer and find change through God's mercy. That's our final point. Because James says that anyone, never at fault in what they say, is perfect. Literally a perfect man. And Jesus was and is the all the way through perfect man. His life shows he wholeheartedly trusted his father. And so he was totally in control of his words. His friend Peter said no deceit was found on his mouth. And he willingly went to his death to take the judgment for our divided heart, to take the judgment for our uncontrolled words, and to give us the reward of his righteousness. So that from God's perspective, it's like we had Jesus's undivided heart, like we'd spoken his controlled, consistent words. That's the mercy of God. And it's available for anyone who'll accept it. And when we do accept it, God renews our hearts. His son's spirit uses the words of truth to make us more like that perfect man. No human being can tame the tongue. But God can. Maybe you've never taken that personal step of trusting the merciful God. But as you reflect in your life, you, you know that you can't control your tongue. You know that you've said things that you regret, that you've hurt people, that you've damaged relationships. If that's you, ask for God's mercy. Ask Jesus, the perfect man, to give you all the benefits of his perfect, undivided heart, all the benefits of his perfect, pure speech. Mercy triumphs over judgment and God loves to save. And if we're believers, but we recognise that our words are inconsistent, that at least at some level our hearts are divided, then let's turn again to the tongue-taming God. Let's keep massaging the truth of God's mercy into our hearts until they mend. What might that, that look like? Well, maybe there's someone in our life who we regularly find ourselves criticising. Uh, perhaps 
because our, our divided hearts are shaky about the fact that we needed mercy. We keep forgetting that and so we, we assume that position of judge over others. Well, why not get into the habit of daily confessing your own evil words, your own sins of the tongue? Start training our hearts to, to love the mercy that we've received because of Jesus. So that when we do next see that person's fault, or when they next say something to us that we really don't like, we'll remember our own need for mercy. We'll see in their faults a reflection of our faults. And we'll be able to, to let it go without comment. And if we do catch ourselves starting to form angry words, or if we come out of a conversation and we realise that we use some of them, well, let's start to speak back to our hearts some of the, the truths about God's mercy that we've seen here. So we could say, Joe, look, you've received so much mercy. But the perfect man had to die for you. Surely you could let that one go. Because as we keep applying God's words of truth to our divided hearts, the God of mercy will start to mend those hearts. And he will start to tame our tongue. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit that our uncontrolled words so often harm others. And that those words come from a divided heart. So please forgive us for your son, the perfect man, and purify our hearts by the, the work of your spirit through your word, so that our words might increasingly be full of that mercy and love that reflects you. In Jesus' name, Amen.